You're listening to audio from The Village Church, a community that's formed by the gospel and sent on God's mission, gathering weekly in the heart of downtown Hamilton, Ohio. For more information about The Village or to connect with us, you can find us online at myvillagechurch.com. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, My name is Scott. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, Thanks for hanging out with us this morning. Before we hop in, would you join me uh, in prayer? God, thanks for this morning. Thanks to the people that you have gathered here, men and women and kids. And um, this is your morning. This is your space. These are your people. And so we just invite you to do what you want to do this morning with us and through us. Uh, God, we give you thanks for those who have gathered and their hearts are full and they're confident, they're at peace, uh, they have joy, and just are experiencing life abundant in you. And God, we're also thankful for those who are here whose hearts are troubled, um, those who have suffering in their life or fears in their life, uh, sin that they just haven't confessed or are not sure how they can repent of or get rid of and uh, just have doubts and questions about things. God, there's a million reasons why anyone's hearts can be troubled this morning. Um, we're thankful for everyone that you've brought here, and we just pray today uh, that you would help bring clarity uh, around some things that's going on in our heart, uh, but, but more than anything else, God, that you would bring clarity to you, uh, that we would get to see you, that we would get to see Jesus and the goodness of the gospel for all that it is, uh, that you might tear down walls, uh, that you might allow us to, to push our trust uh, out of our comfort zone, um, but also to, to place our faith not in ourselves, not in our own strength, not in taking the next right step or anything else, or figuring stuff out, but God, that we would place our faith in, in you, in Jesus, and the finished work that he accomplished on the cross, and his resurrection, and the work that he's going to finish one day when he returns. So help us follow those things this morning, that we might leave here today with hearts that are slightly less troubled, uh, because they see you uh, just a little bit more clearly. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right, uh, so power doesn't panic. Uh, as soon as I heard this line from a, a show called Andor. Some of you may have seen it. Uh, it's just kind of like lodged itself in my brain. I've not been able to, to get rid of it. And I think that little phrase that power doesn't panic, I think that is at the core of Jesus' words for us today. Uh, and he says a lot of words. Uh, he says a lot of things in this focal passage. What's it mean that he's like making rooms for us, preparing a place for us? How big are those rooms? What are they going to look like? Uh, did he just promise to give us whatever we want? You know, like if we just ask for something, is he just going to give us whatever it is that we, that we ask him for? Are we going to do greater works than Jesus? We could go down like a, a dozen rabbit holes this morning. And if you know me, you know that I want to go down every single one of those rabbit holes. But we're not going to do that this morning because I think, I think the, what, what he's trying to get at, even with like the way and the truth and the life stuff, all of that is coming down to this idea that, that he's trying to help us not live panicked lives. Everything he's saying today, it's meant to untrouble our hearts. Uh, For those who haven't seen the show, part of Andor takes place uh, in a prison. And this prison is, it's sectioned off uh, in different levels, different blocks. Uh, And there's like one or two times a day where the inmates on those different levels can actually see through windows. Uh, They can see each other. And some of those inmates have figured out how to like pass messages uh, to one another by using sign language. Um, And the the prisoners that we're following in the story, uh, they learned through one of those messages that some guards have executed like a hundred inmates, a whole group of them on one floor because those inmates, they learned something. They heard something that they weren't supposed to hear. And the guards wanted to keep that stuff quiet. And so they panicked. And in a display of force, they killed everybody who knew. Or at least that's, that's what they thought that they did. 
because that secret and, and the news that the guards were, were killing folks to keep it quiet, that was making the rounds from level to level, from window to window, to, from inmate to inmate until it would make its way probably throughout the entire prison at some point. And as somebody who hates spoilers, I'm not going to spoil what that, act, what that secret actually is if you want to watch the show uh, sometime, but I will tell you that that, that secret was going to cause unrest in the prison. Probably riots throughout the whole facility, all 5,000 inmates that were there. And our main guy in the show that we're following, Cassian, he wants to, to capitalize uh, on that to coordinate a prison break. All right? So first, though, he has to like, convince one of the, the foremen, uh, kind of the, the inmate in charge on his floor, that a prison break is a good idea. And he doesn't think it is uh, a good idea. He thinks it's crazy. And so they're arguing back and forth about this thing. And, and our man, Cassian, he says... The prison doesn't have enough guards. Like, they know that they don't have enough guards. They're afraid. And the foreman says, afraid? Afraid of what? And Cassian says, they just killed a hundred men to keep them quiet. What would you call that? And the foreman says, I would call that power. And Cassian says, power? Power doesn't panic. Ooh, that's a good line. What you and I often see as signs of strength in times of trouble are really signs of insecurity, right? They're signs of a troubled heart in times of trouble. If the prison was as powerful as they, they wanted everyone to believe, they probably wouldn't have gone on a killing spree over like a, a small news leak. Their reaction, it was a display of force, but it was not a display of power. It actually betrayed their lack of power. They were afraid because they knew they didn't have what it takes to stop a, a full-on riot. And our guy, Cassian, he, he just saw right through it, which, which didn't just mean that the prison was less powerful than the inmates thought, but it meant that the inmates were actually more powerful than they knew in that situation, and Cassian wanted them to start acting like it. Now, Jesus is not leading a prison break. Okay, it's not what we're talking about this morning. But he does want his disciples to know that they don't have to panic unsettling news. It's been making the rounds. Like two weeks ago, uh, Jesus said one of them was a, a, going to be a backstabbing narc, basically. Like that's what he said. One of them was going to be that. Uh, last week, Jesus said that he was leaving and they couldn't come with him. They couldn't go to where he was going to go. And today, Peter and Thomas and Philip, they are all going to panic just a little bit because of all that stuff. But Jesus knows that, that even harder things are coming not the least of which is his own death, his own execution at the hands of some guards. And he, he doesn't want his followers to panic. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Even though his disciples, and, and that includes us, we feel powerless at times. We, we are powerless sometimes in the face of sin and suffering and evil and uncertainty, questions that we just don't know about. Jesus isn't powerless. He is the way and the truth and the life, not us, which means we don't have to panic. Our hearts can be untroubled when Jesus is enough, and that's our main idea for this morning. Uh, we're going to take a look at the first chunk of our passage today and see how that plays out. We're going to look at uh, 13, 36 through 38 first. Uh, I'm going to tee that up just a little bit because last week uh, Jesus said something that Peter's responding to. He said, little children, yet a little while I'm with you, you will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now also I say to you, where I'm going, you can't come. And so what we're about to read is, is then Peter's reaction to that thing. So this is what he says starting in 36. 
Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you can't follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I'll lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. So our our first point this morning is that Jesus is the life laid down. That's point one today. Uh, When when Cassian finds out what's happening in the prison, he he tells the foreman this. He says, "Uh, I'd rather die trying to take them down than die giving them what they want. Right, that, that, that noble, like, let's fight the man, I'll do it myself, even if no one else is in or whatever, like, that attitude is the same one that Peter is channeling a little bit. Here, he reacts to the news that Jesus uh, is leaving without him with, like, a, a macho bravado, right? He, he doesn't like that Jesus leaving at all, but, but he really doesn't like that Jesus thinks he has to blaze a trail for him first. Like, he wants to be the, trail, the trailblazer. Like, what do you mean I can't go with you? Like, I don't need you to go in front of me. Jesus, I can handle this stuff on my own. I'll walk alongside you every step of the way. In fact, like, if it's that dangerous, then I'll throw myself in front of you. Like, I'll go before you. I'll lay my life down for you. I'm, I'm brave enough. I'm strong enough. Like, I've got what it takes to protect you in the future of this kingdom that you're trying to build. And you have to hand it to Peter. Like, he's a very confident guy. Right? I would love to know what it's like to be as confident as Peter is like in just this moment. I would just one time to know what it's like to have that sort of confidence. That would be wonderful. The bro could slay dragons here. All right? Who, who doesn't want to cheer him on? Like when we, when we hear bad news or when things get scary, like some of us react by, by powering up. Like we immediately want to like talk big and take action because we know that we can fix it. We can stop it. We can make it right. And many of us, we get swept up in people who talk like that. Like we love to see that happen sometimes. But Peter's downfall is that his confidence is not matched by his humility. When Jesus says that he can't go, Peter says, why can't I? His knee-jerk reaction is to think that he's capable of doing what what Jesus himself said only Jesus could do. And what Jesus literally told him Peter couldn't do, at least not yet. Peter's in denial. Like he takes this thing as like an insult almost, as if Jesus underestimated him, underestimated what he's capable of. So he powers up, not against Jesus, at least not in his brain, but he powers up for Jesus to protect him. Right? And to prove that he, what, like what he's made of, but, but what he's really proving is that he's not humble enough to see that he thinks he knows better than Jesus. And that he's capable of saving the Savior. That he's capable of keeping the kingdom from going down. And Peter has it upside down. We don't save Jesus, Jesus saves us. We don't lay our lives down for him, he laid his life down for us. We don't protect the kingdom. Right, Jesus brings it, and he builds it, and he advances it. But, but dang, if Peter doesn't sound noble, sounds real good. Brave, bold, confident, even if he's not confident in the Lord, because he's more confident in himself. And look, uh, some of us in the face of, of bad news, like we preach a false gospel of, hey, I got this. We say that sometimes. I, I don't know what you showed up this morning wanting to hear about this stuff or whatever, what you think you need, but I know that some of us have, have been hit pretty hard with some hard stuff like just this year, and we're only four weeks in. 
Like some of us didn't think we'd be spending time together at a, at a funeral, at a memorial yesterday, but we were there. I know some of us like just want to be told, like, hey, you got this. You can do this, right? You've got whatever it is. You've got what it takes to conquer whatever scary stuff is out there or whatever scary stuff is in here. You've got what it takes. And because of that, it's really easy for the church to become a pep rally, right, where Jesus cheers us on where our time in the word or prayer with friends is, is built around making us feel good about ourselves, our self-esteem, our self-empowerment, right? I'm good enough and I'm, and I'm smart enough and doggone it, like people like me, you know? Like that's sometimes what the church turns into a little bit. And so when trouble comes, we have been taught sometimes to, to live in denial about our very real shortcomings and play pretend in a real world as if we can slay the dragons when we can't. Look, we... We can't save the world. We can't save Jesus. We can't save the church. We can't save your family or your friends. We can't save ourselves. And you might not got this. Peter, you're going to lay your life down for me because before you have your first cup of coffee in the morning, you're going to pretend like you don't even know me. Not one time, not two times, three times. You're going to do that three times, which might sound really harsh, right? Especially to someone who just said that they'd take a bullet for you. But this is the best thing that Jesus could tell him. Listen, like if Peter got his way and laid his life down thinking that he was saving Jesus, it would have been brave, would have been bold, would have been noble and stupid. The, a, a testimony of a passionate, devoted man who lived an upside down gospel, who thought the future of the church depended on his sacrifice would have been a life lived and given in panic. Which doesn't mean we don't do anything about the trouble in the world. It just means that our doing begins with, with what Jesus has already done and promised to do. Right? The world loves to present a problem to us and say, and what are you going to do about it? Right? Scroll Twitter, Facebook, look at the news. What are you doing about this thing? Are you joining this movement, doing this hashtag, donating here? Are you for this or against this? What are you going to do about it? And sometimes we hear that question, like, even in our own heads. Every time there's a problem, assuming that we're the ones that have to hop in to fix stuff or, or make things happen, but, but the church gets to spring into action from a more confident place than anybody else on the planet. We get to ask first, what has Jesus already done about it? What is Jesus going to do about it one day? And then we get to ask what all can Jesus do today in us, through us, for that? It also doesn't mean that like, like Christians shouldn't be confident, right? We shouldn't think little of ourselves, not because of what we tell ourselves about ourselves, but because of what God has told us about ourselves, right? Some of us love our, our theology of total depravity, like, like more than the gospel sometimes, like we, we live as if we're worms and wretches, unable to do anything good at all, even though we're new creations in Christ, indwelt by the Holy Spirit, adopted by the Father, created for good works, and given every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. When we drop the ball or make a mess of stuff, like one of those blessings is forgiveness, right? It's redemption, it's grace, like the removal of guilt and shame. Humility isn't self-deprecating. Humility isn't not having confidence. It's knowing where to put our confidence. Peter's problem wasn't that he was a confident guy. His problem was that he was confident in the wrong person. You, you can be overconfident in you pretty easily. You cannot be overconfident in Jesus. 
which is why it's out of love that Jesus humbles Peter. Not for the first time, and, and not for the last time either. Uh, a tweet uh, that I saw, it's uh, somebody from uh, uh, John Stark. He's a pastor up in New York. Uh, I'll quote it. He said, a long time ago, uh, I read Henry Nouwen say somewhere, it takes a lot of humiliation for just a little bit of humility. Since then, I've come to, to the conclusion that being embarrassed is part of spiritual formation. It's just not the exciting part. All of us, like Peter, we need spiritual formation. We are works in progress. And sometimes that starts and continues with being humbled by all that we can't do, all that we won't do, and maybe all that we did that we wish we wouldn't have. Like, Jesus shows us this stuff not to tear us down in times of trouble, but to, to build us up in him. The gospel rarely sounds like, yeah, you got this. But it's so confident in Jesus that it's not afraid or insulted, right, to ask ourselves or even the ones that we love, yeah, but what if you don't got this? What does that mean for you? What are you going to do if you don't got this? Because that's the question that Jesus came to answer. That's the reality that Jesus came to address. That's the question that if we answer it honestly, humbly actually leads to the good news of Jesus' power that can ease a troubled heart because Jesus got this. Jesus says that Peter will go to where Jesus is one day after Jesus has already gone there. And we, we think Jesus is alluding to Peter's death. Here, tradition tells us that Peter was killed like Jesus, um, not because he was like blazing a trail for him or whatever, but because he was following in Jesus' footsteps. He died like Jesus on a cross, except he has to be crucified upside down, uh, ironically, because he finally got the gospel right side up in some ways. There was only one person Peter knew that, that could die the kind of death that Jesus had to die in our place under judgment as a substitute for sin. And Peter knew that that wasn't him. That was Jesus. So there's a difference between laying down your life because you know that Jesus is enough for the world and laying down your life because you're not sure if he is. There's a difference between laying down your life for the church or for your family, for whatever, because you know its future has been secured by Jesus' sacrifice, and then laying down your life because, because you're not sure if the church will exist without your sacrifice. It looks the same on the outside sometimes, like overseas mission stuff, uh, nonstop serving, being really passionate about culture and truth and theology and getting things right and, and getting stuff done, all that stuff. But, but one, one is rooted in a peaceful confidence in Christ's power, and the other is rooted in a powerless panic of, of misplaced confidence in us. But believing that Jesus is the life laid down makes all the difference. Believing that he is enough is what can untrouble our hearts. We'll move on to the next section here. We're gonna look at John 14, one through seven. Uh, knowing that he just like dropped a, a bombshell on Peter and everybody, he says this. He says, let not your hearts be troubled, Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it weren't so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and I'll take you to my, myself, uh, that where I am, you may also be. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. Uh, how can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. All right, so we'll unpack that in the, 
The point for this is that Jesus is the one way home. Uh, I'm fairly confident that besides Jesus, the, the biggest thing that's like helped our marriage more than anything else is the invention of GPS. All right, so like, which some of you, that might be news that like it didn't exist at some point, you know, but like GPS is a relatively new thing in human history. Uh, the first time Kelly and I like drove like downtown Cincinnati, I didn't have a, uh, I didn't, I had to like fumble through my map quest directions that I had printed out on our printer, right? I wasn't having to like turn through those things and figure stuff out, but I was able to follow like a little triangle on my Nokia like brick phone. Like I knew that we would make it. Like I knew our marriage would survive. Like it was going to be great. I just, just never really paid much of attention when I was a kid, like to where we were going or street signs or direction. I'm directionally challenged. Many of you probably already know this. Um, and so like road trips, like as much as we eventually like had a good time or whatever, we love road trips. Uh, they were a little dicey. All right, when we would go, because like knowing that this little thing, though, was, had like locked down, locked into where I was supposed to be going, where I was headed, and, and, and where I was, and then how to like actually get myself from A to B, that was, that was comforting, right? That was like the biggest thing on the planet. It changed everything. Uh, and yeah, just because someone's wondering, Kelly did try to be like my co-pilot and co-navigator. That did not go well. Like it just wasn't a good thing. It was much better to follow the triangle on the little Nokia brick phone. Uh, I'm sure that was all my fault. I'm a terrible pilot. Um, so on the heels of, of telling them that he's leaving, or that, that they can't come with him, and, and that Peter's gonna flake out really hard, Jesus says, but hey, don't worry. There's more than enough room for all of you where I'm going. I'm gonna get the place ready for you, and then come back, and I'm gonna pick you up. Believe me, he says. I, I wouldn't be saying you're doing any of this stuff if it wasn't true. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In other words, as much as you trust in God, also trust in me. That's a bold claim, right? But since Jesus is God, he's allowed to say those things, right? If Patrick Bustle tonight uh, at the bridge says, believe in me as also you believe in God, okay, then you should let me know. That's a problem. Have a conversation. Students, all right, call them out. Uh, but, but look, like, then he throws in this thing. Jesus throws in this. But you know the way there anyways, now, usually if like Jews were talking about the place where God lived, they'd be talking about the temple, uh, right? That's kind of where God's physical presence, uh, presence dwelt. Like it was like a sacred space and there were rooms where priests and, uh, and such could stay. But I think the disciples were catching on. That's not what he was talking about here when he said uh, the father's house. But they also didn't know where he was talking about, where he was going. And so uh, like me needing an address to punch into Google Maps before I'm going to go anywhere ever, like Thomas makes a great observation. But if we don't know where you're going, how can we possibly get there? Because I, I jive with Thomas here. Like, I am not a man of action. Like Peter, I am a man of information, right? Tell me the thing that I should know. Tell me what to expect. I totally get where Thomas is coming from. And so Jesus gives us a very Jesus-y answer uh, that seems just wildly unhelpful. Hey, Jesus, like, how do we get to your dad's house? Well, um, I'm the way uh, and the truth and the life, and no one gets to him unless they come through me first. And it's like, okay. Just when we get to the corner, do we turn left or right? Could you just tell us that? That would be really helpful. Why do you make everything so difficult? Except Jesus is, is not trying to make things difficult this time. Jesus, more than anyone, knows that things are going to get difficult. They're about to get difficult. More difficult than trying to find your way around town. And he's trying to prepare them by answering a question they haven't asked yet. Right? They don't know even to ask yet, but one that's going to matter a lot more in the end because where he's going, most people don't come back from. Right? He's going to die, not having come back to, to take them anywhere. And resurrection was not 
was not like on their radar at all. And so Jesus is preparing them for all kinds of disillusion and disappointment and grief and anger and doubt, things that he knows are going to be hard, harder than what they're expecting right now. Michael mentioned it last week, but starting here in chapter 14 all the way through chapter 17, this is called the farewell discourse. This is Jesus' parting words to his followers. And if you've been around the church at all, you've probably heard this line uh, that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. My guess is that you usually hear it like floating by itself, kind of slogan or, or one of those Hobby Lobby signs or whatever that we just kind of have hanging up around. But, but these words, like they belong to this farewell discourse. They belong to this personal conversation that Jesus is having. Like, like I think he's looking Peter in the eyes when he says, I am the life which we can say means lots of things, but there's no way he's not connecting that with what he and Peter just talked about. I'm the life laid down, Peter, not you. And he's looking Thomas in the eye when he says, like, I'm the way. I'm the one way home to the Father. And as immediately frustrating as this answer might be for Thomas, it is so much better in the long run because he's answering the question that Thomas will be asking and that a lot of us ask, like, Jesus when you're not here, I can't see you, can't hear from you, faith seems crazy, life is difficult and hard, how do I know that I'm headed where you are? A lot of us have that question. A lot of us doubt that we're going to end up with Jesus. It's okay to say that. I just want you to know you're not alone uh, and that that's biblical. As biblical as Thomas is, right, so is your desire for a little bit of clarity, a little bit of certainty uh, that you are heaven-bound. Later uh, in John 20, Thomas hears that Jesus rose from the dead for the first time, and his response was, prove it. He literally says, I will never believe unless I see and touch his wounds with my hands. Skeptics and, and disbelieving believers, like, you're, you're part of the story. Like you're part of his story. It's, it's true that Jesus says in simple terms that he uh, is the only way to the Father. That, that there's no other way. There's no other person, no other name. He's not, he's not a way. He's the way. And just to be clear, the thes are literally in the Greek. They're actually there. It's not just made up for emphasis. They're in the Greek. Uh, while that truth, the truth that there's no forgiveness, no reunion, no reconciliation, no life with God apart from Jesus, well, that creates lots of of anxiety and stress and questions and arguments and lots of things, I just want us to remember that, that Jesus isn't saying any of that stuff to try and stir up trouble. He's saying that to let our hearts not be troubled, which might sound a little weird. Uh, I put our family, um, all seven of us, on the wrong bus during a thunderstorm in the middle of New Orleans without an umbrella or a bathroom just last year. That was, that was sabbatical. It was very restful. Uh, I, I got us on the, the right bus line. It was the purple line, uh, but we got on a, a purple line bus that was just on the other part of the loop, right? So it was like going in the opposite direction of the place that we were staying. Uh, so needless to say, like my heart was a bit troubled. I, I, like I meant it when I said I was legitimately directionally challenged. I don't know what I'm doing ever. Uh, I was stressed. I had a lot of questions as we were like continued to go further from where Google Maps said that we should be going, uh, and so we had to get off the bus at some point and sprint through a downpour so we can make it to the bathroom of a 7-Eleven because child bladders or whatever, and so uh, like we laugh now about it, but it, it was not what I thought it was going to be. Like I was just trying to get us home, and we did. We made it, but it wasn't because of me, but because the purple line did its job. 
like the, the bus that we were on eventually, like it looped back around and it got us to where we wanted to go. Uh, Purple Line was the right call. It's just that my contribution to the whole thing and the storm and, and the unfamiliar territory, my expectations, all the stuff I didn't know and was freaking out about, it made the stakes in the moment feel a lot higher and the experience more stressful and the outcome like just way less sure than it ever actually really was. We were always going to get home. We were always going to get to where the Purple Line was taking us, even, even when the bus driver took a 15-minute smoke break on the far end of the route. But honestly, like, that's a picture of our relationship with, with faith and future and the questions that we ask. And we have a lot of questions. I have a lot of questions. I have more questions today than I did, like, when I first believed. Some of us want to know, what are we supposed to do about boyfriends and girlfriends and husbands and wives? Some of us want to know what we're, like, where are we supposed to live? Where are we supposed to go to school? What job are we supposed to get? How are we supposed to make ends meet? Why does this stuff always happen to me? Why did this person have to die? Why is singleness so hard? Why is dating so hard? Why is marriage so hard? What's God trying to teach me? What am I supposed to do differently? What's the right choice here or or here or here or here? What am I supposed to do in all these places? What if I make the wrong decision and mess the whole thing up? What's the right answer to questions about evil and suffering if God is all good uh, and all powerful or how science and the Bible will go together? Can I even trust the Bible at all in the first place? Just question after question after question. Just write it down, Jesus. Like, please just put the answers on a piece of paper. I'll punch it into Google Maps, right? And I will be all right. And what Jesus is trying to say to the unsettled heart of you and of Thomas, me, this morning, is that you're going to be all right, but not because you have all the answers, but because you have me. All those questions are good questions. Thomas's question is a good question. If your heart's troubled by something, talk about it. Like, I, I want the village to continue to be a, a community, a place where folks feel like they can ask questions. Jesus isn't threatened. The church isn't threatened. Eternity is not threatened by you asking something. There is so little at stake by you wondering about something out loud because because the way to the Father isn't your certainty. It is Jesus. You knowing and taking the one next right step every single moment of every single day to make sure you get yourself to where you're supposed to be is not the way home Jesus is. He's the one taking you there. Not with breadcrumbs that you have to like hunt for and follow that you might miss. He's coming back for you. In whatever tight spot or dark corner that you might put yourself in, whatever stuff you don't know or have gotten totally wrong, he's going to come back and get you and he's going to carry you home. Whether that's ushering your soul into the Father's presence when your body fails you or whether that's when he returns to raise your body up and make it new as he brings the Father's home here. In the new creation, heaven and earth reconciled all together. The future can be a scary place. Like to get from point A to point B on the map of our lives, like that literally is a lifetime. It's a long time to have to figure out what the heck we're supposed to do. So I get Thomas's question. But how sad would it have been if Jesus had just answered the question that he asked? If he had told Thomas all the right steps to take to have a really great 30, 50, 70 years of life, but then left eternity up to him to figure out. How sad or how unsettling would that have been for for people like us, for people like Thomas? On the other hand, how different 
do we get to look at like the next 70 years that we have or however many that we have knowing without a doubt that we're getting home. Jesus later did visit Thomas after he, he rose from the dead. He literally just walked through a locked door, uh, which is remarkable, stood in front of him and just let him see with his own eyes and touched with his own hands the thing that Thomas just couldn't believe was true. But the one thing that Jesus wanted him to be sure of that Jesus could literally come back from anywhere to anywhere to take him home. That's the question that Jesus answered. And none of this means that today's troubles don't matter. They do. The troubles matter. The questions of today matter. We get to wrestle with those things together. But now, because Jesus told us that he is the one way home, we now know there's a bottom to every unsettling thing in our heart. There's so much more that's not at stake in the troubles of tomorrow that our, our heart can actually be untroubled a little bit today. The, the future can be scary, and the scariest thing about our faith sometimes is also the most comforting thing, that we have, to, we have to put all of our hope in somebody else. But Jesus is enough, right? He, he doesn't give us the way home. He is the one way home. The third point this morning comes from uh, 14, 8 through 11, and so we'll read that together. It's Philip's turn to respond to what Jesus has to say. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father. It's enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am the Father or I'm in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me, that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. To point through this morning is this, that Jesus is the truth made known. Uh, some of you may have heard of uh, Brene Brown before. Uh, she kind of blew up a few years ago, I think, from like a, a TED Talk that she gave. She's a, a researcher, writer, author, uh, speaker, primarily about stuff with like shame and vulnerability and all those things. I don't know what, what her relationship is with Jesus and the church uh, or faith or whatever, and so I'm not, I'm not advertising how she brings the gospel into things, but I stumbled across something she said the other day that uh, regardless of where she is, I think is, is spot on. She said this. She said, I went back to church thinking that it would be like an epidural, like it would take the pain away, that the church would, would make the pain go away. Faith in church was not an epidural for me at all. It was like a midwife who just stood next to me saying, push. It's supposed to hurt a little bit. Now first, uh, Kelly went, um, my wife went unmedicated with, with all of our kids. I didn't feel it, but I know for a fact that it hurt more than a little bit, okay? And so I just want you to know, that's not me saying that. that was, she said that. Don't come after me. You can tweet at Brene Brown if you want to. This is not my words. Second, it's a, it's a fitting description of the way some of us think about our faith. We talk to Jesus or we show up to church stuff thinking it's going to make the hard things easy, the painful things feel better, the scary things disappear. And when that doesn't happen, we're like, well, what the heck was this even for? Like, what are we even doing here? That's how Philip is approaching Jesus here. Like, okay, Jesus, someone's going to stab you on the back. Got it. Peter's going to bail on you. You're leaving to go somewhere we can't go yet. And, and man, that, that you gave us very weird directions for, uh, by the way. All that's a little concerning. I'll tell you what, just let us have a little glimpse of the Father. Just peel back the veil between heaven and earth, and, and just like just give us a little shot in the arm that we might need to not freak out when Philip says like a guest appearance from God would, would be enough. Like what he means is enough to, to let their hearts not be troubled. I think that's what he means. But the reality is faith isn't a, a, just a pill that you pop 
like when you feel an onset of panic coming on. Like you can, you can beg the Lord, you can try to bargain with him, you can show up to gatherings, like thinking today, I might meet him here. Like if I just got to hear him or, or see him or experience God in some new fresh way, it would let me know that everything is gonna be all right, that, that he's real, that he sees me, that I'm known by him. Just, just give us this one more thing, Lord, and it'll be enough. But Jesus says that that would actually leave us disappointed. Because what the Father would show us or tell us about or let us experience, it would just be more of the same because it would all be about Jesus, right? You want to know what the Father would say? Everything Jesus has said is what the Father wanted to say. Want to know what the Father would do? Everything that Jesus has done is what the Father wanted to do, right? He's, he's not the opening act. Jesus is not some appetizer. The, the Holy Spirit isn't the closer or the dessert. The Father and the Son and the Spirit, they all work in tandem together to accomplish their shared purpose. All of them fully and equally one God who go to work together for your good and for one another's glory. If we're looking for Jesus to like give us the prize at the bottom of the box, right, or the toy in the Happy Meal or or the extra fry, like at the bottom of the bag. Like if that's what we're looking to him for, to like, man, someone's looking out for us. Like there's a reason to feel good and keep believing today. Like we are bound to be disappointed. Not because Jesus is disappointing. Because we're not trying to be satisfied in Jesus. We're trying to be satisfied with something that we think we need that Jesus hasn't given us yet. And real talk, there are things that Jesus hasn't given us yet. There's not. He's not wiped sin away or all the evil in the world or Satan. He's not wiped him off the map. He still hasn't wiped away every tear from every eye. Death still happens. All creation hasn't been made new yet. There are plenty of things Jesus hasn't given us yet, but there's nothing that we need right here and right now in our times of trouble that he hasn't already given us, even if that's simply the truth about what's going to happen one day and about the God who's going to make that happen one day. Uh, part of the reason that, that Kelly made it through uh, five unmedicated childbirths uh, is that we went through birthing classes. Uh, we learned what to expect. I learned just how hard it was gonna be for her to go through. Uh, we learned like the ins and outs of labor and delivery, like what happens in the body, all the things. Kelly learned, Kelly learned to expect it to hurt a, a little bit. And honestly, it was my job to, to not freak out when it did and to remind her of where she was in the process and everything that was going on in her body, like what it just was just screaming at her and she couldn't recall, what was that one thing on that one chart that one time in that one class? She couldn't think about that stuff. So my job was to help remind her of what was true. We even delivered like Holden, our second kid. He was born at home, uh, not on purpose. That was not a thing that we had planned for, uh, but at home with the two of us in the bathroom and my, my mom like throwing towels at me uh, from the hallway. Like that's the closest that I'll ever be to being a midwife, all right? That's, that's what I get. <laughs> But in a weird way, like that's what it looks like for the church to be a midwife to troubled hearts. Not to make empty promises or, or to help them chase after quick fixes or spiritual highs that are just gonna, they're just gonna, we're just gonna come down from at some point. Our job and Jesus' job is not to numb the pain or the discomfort that comes from living in a sinful fallen world. It is to teach us to, to accept it and to expect it, and to sit with one another through the pain while the world is what it is for now, knowing that it's not always going to be this way. And that's hard. But I promise that it's harder to be hooked on finding the next thing that you think is going to make you feel better, the next book, the next conference, the next podcast, diet, or plan, or routine, the next church, 
whatever, just one more thing. Instead, man, instead, because of Jesus, we get to remind each other of what's already true. What's already going to happen. Because, man, like, without going anywhere else, to anyone else, for anything else, we have Jesus. And so when our hearts are troubled, and when it's tough to even think clearly, we get to remind one another of, of just where we are right now in God's cosmic plan for redemption. What is happening right now? Who are we? We get to be seen and known and loved. We are adopted and sealed and forgiven and all these things. And we get to remind one another who's coming back for us. Like just like he proved that he could with Thomas to one day set all things right, rid the world and our hearts of their troubles and to bring new life into the world. That doesn't take away all of today's troubles. I'm not gonna pretend that does that. But our hearts can be less troubled today if we let Jesus and the truth that he's made known be enough for us. And this last little section uh, will lead us to communion this morning. Read the last few verses with me. <clears throat> this is John 14, 12 through 14. Truly, truly, I say to you, Jesus says, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these he will do, because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I'll do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Uh, sure, those sentences generate about uh, like three dozen questions, and I will answer them all right now. I don't know. I have no idea. Like, I don't, I don't know. Whatever your question is, I don't know what the answer is to that. Uh, but I'll tell you what I do know. Jesus is not giving us a reason to be anxious or to be confused or to debate. Like, don't hear us and think, oh my gosh, like, I, I must not be a believer because I've asked him for a million things. I always end my prayers in, in Jesus' name, amen, right? But, but I'm pretty sure he's like never answered anything that I've ever asked him for before. Don't go there. Like, that's not the takeaway here. Jesus wasn't lying when he said this, right? And also, Jesus isn't giving you a magic spell, like forgetting whatever you ask for. That's not what this is about. Jesus is giving us one final reason for our hearts to not be troubled. And, and this one's a little bit different, right? Because Jesus uh, isn't saying, like, hey, I know it's going to be hard. I'm leaving, but hey, but like, let me help you get through it. What he's saying here is that it's actually going to be better in some ways that I am leaving. Like, from what he says here, it seems like we can do more and he can do more because, because, because he is not here. Even after he's gone, he's, he's not really gone. Like since he left to take his throne next to the father, he's not just able to hear the people who happen to be like sitting around him at the table, right, in the upper room or on the hillside or, or on the boat or whatever. He can hear all of us. And because he's the one calling the shots in heaven, like he can do whatever anyone, anywhere, anytime asks in his name that'll make the father look good. And look, I don't know what the criteria for that is. I don't know if Jesus has a rubric up there that he's like scoring stuff on as we ask for things. None of us know what that looks like. But, but there are three things as we close out today that, that you can ask this morning that I know he will consider because he's already said it's stuff that, that he wants for us. The first thing is this, ask him to help you believe. Jesus told us three times in this passage to believe in him. And if you're not a Christian, you're not somebody who like, who's realized that they are a wreck of sin and suffering and they need a savior to come along and pay the price, uh, promise the future, make you new, then ask the Lord to help you believe for the first time. And there's no one who's not already a Christian here who, who isn't already like troubled in some way. We, we still have work to do. We still disbelieve some things and find it hard to believe some stuff. And so we, all of us, get to ask like, God, help us. Jesus, help us to believe that, that you're enough that you're the way and the truth and the life. Secondly, we get to ask him to help us go to work. 
If you're a believer, Jesus says that we're going to do works like he did, right? What situations, what people, when you're around them, do you need, do you need help bearing the fruit of the Spirit around, right? Where do you need help, like, living a holy life, pursuing holiness, serving, making disciples? He's not going to shame us when we bring those things to him. It's his delight. It's his invitation to us to let him help us in those things. And lastly, like, we get to ask him to, to help our hearts not be troubled. That's the heartbeat of this whole passage. This is what he told his disciples to do. So we know it's a thing he can help us with. And it's obviously related to the other two, but it might make us ask some different questions. Like, what is troubling your heart? Why? How do, you, how do you work like Jesus, but from a place of panic and not peace? When do you feel like the fate of the universe is at stake? What truth doesn't feel as reassuring as it should? Or what do you need to let the church process with you? Band, you guys can come on up. Uh, what you and I, all of us together, what we often see as signs of strength and the way that we respond to panic and trouble often are, are signs of insecurity and fear and panic, signs of a, a troubled heart in times of trouble. But there's one sign that we get to come back to time and time again, a, a sign that honestly like, might look like weakness, might seem like it represents weakness to the world, but that but honestly points to the power that we are all looking for, and that is, that's the Lord's table. It's communion. We, we don't power up to come to the table. We don't puff our chests and strut up here. We don't run here in fear. We don't come looking for some new miracle today. We get to come in confidence and remembrance of what Jesus has already done for us. And so if you're a believer this morning, man, I encourage you to sit, reflect, repent, respond. There'll be some more questions up on the screen for you. And when you're ready, when you feel confident in Jesus' grace for you, man, come up here Take the piece of bread uh, that that's represents the body of Christ that was broken for you. Dip it in the juice that represents the blood of Christ that was spilled for you. And you get to celebrate today that you were invited to the Lord's table. And he is the one keeping you at the table uh, as well. Uh, for everyone else, if you're not a believer, this is not for you. But we would love to talk with you about Jesus. If you want to take communion for the first time as a believer, we would love to do that. Come and find us. Uh, you're welcome to sit here and pray uh, just at your seats. I'll be back there against the wall to pray. There'll be some folks back there ready and willing to pray with you as well. If you just have stuff you want to talk about, it doesn't have to be about the sermon or anything else, but we'd love to walk beside you and that. And lastly, man, you can sing as the band uh, continues to lead us in worship this morning in song. So do what you need to do. Let the Spirit stir in you and respond accordingly.